0: Hello, I'm Rami. And I'm Beth. And you're listening to Brother Knows Quest, the podcast where I, your host, introduce my sister to the wonderful world of tabletop role-playing games. Beth, do you have any idea what we're talking about today? No. It's another cipher system game, of course. We're going to go through those down, just go down the list. This one is... I don't know what that is. It's TOLUS. It's spelled P-T-O-L-U-S, am I right? Mm-hmm. But it's pronounced TOLUS. Mm. City by the Spire. It is... It's huge. I think there's like 600 and some pages. It is a massive campaign that Monty Cook himself ran for a long time. The creator of Cypher System, he ran it with a bunch of the D&D creators back when he worked with them more often. He eventually left and made another company. Then he left and made Monty Cook Games, the ones that make Cypher System. And he decided to bring his old setting into the Cypher System. And you can get the massive book for fifth edition as well. I got it for Cypher System and got the PDF for the fifth edition. Tolus is an urban and dungeon crawl kind of game. It's mostly about the city of Tolus. People have just started discovering how ancient the city really is and unearthing details from like its dungeons underneath. There's a massive spire beside it that's like I can't remember how many, like four to six thousand feet tall. That's why they call it City by the Spire. But nobody really messes with the spire apparently. Not in this book anyway. It's more what's under the city that's important. And finding out that there's dungeons under this ancient city, has brought in a lot of people, a rare breed of people called adventurers. It's the world of Pramale, I think is what it's called. And the city is inside a very old empire that the book claims is unsure whether or not it's toppled or not. <laughs> so you live in an empire that's, are we still an empire? Maybe, maybe not. Three different emperors claim the throne at the moment, and portions of the once great realm have cleaved off like uh, icy shards from melting glaciers. It's an empire on the decline, Mm. or three empires now on the decline. Progress seems to be on the decline. It's like the fall of the Roman Empire, pretty much. This civilization is actually older than our real world civilization is. Our world. The first people, not too long ago, to delve into that underground dungeon, they explored catacombs. Uh, laden with gold and magical treasures. Hundreds of new adventures pour into the city each month now, and I suspect you're going to be one of them. The best way to do this if you're going to play this game is to show up as in somebody who's never been in this city, so the DM or GM does not have to constantly explain one thing to one person and tell the other person they don't know what they're talking about. So just say you're. In, if the whole party was just new people to town, you all would be learning together, and you wouldn't constantly have to be after the DM. Does my character know about that? Would I know about that? Because That would gets annoying. And if you can tell by the size of the book, there'd be a lot of that going on. Many of the people who go into the dungeons underneath never come back. Hmm. Then how do they know about it? Because the ones who do come back come back laden with gold and treasures. Tales of surprisingly vast reaches of natural caverns and ancient hewn passages. So some is built, some is natural. You could expect about a 50-50 split between adventuring under the city and adventures in the city. It has about seventy-five thousand people in the city by the way. I'm just going over the base things about this city because if you can't tell by looking at it, I'd be there'd be two or three episodes just talking about the city. It lies in the shadow of an impossibly tall tower. It's actually 3,000 feet tall in this book. Ruled by a council whose leader is known as the Commissioner. He's a representative of the Empire of Taurus. So you got a whole council. That run. Aside from law-enforcing authorities, there's both official and self-appointed, of course. Tolis uh, benefits from the presence of various forces of unification. Knightly orders like the Keepers of the veil, vale, order of the dawn, the knights of the pale uphold such concepts of benevolence and nobility. Even angelic beings live in Tolus, half celestials and true angels themselves. So we know the gods exist at least, kind of like the Forgotten Realms in D&D. There's also a bad side of town. They like to deal in extortion, smuggling, gambling, usury, and prostitution. I've never heard the term usury until I read this, by the way. What's usury? Usury is, it's an interest charged by a lender or a borrower at a rate of above lawful ceiling heights. Hmm. So it's a loan with very high interest rates that's illegal. Okay, that makes more sense. Now we know what usury means. That's, that's kind of cool. If nothing else, we know that now. The game has a lot of different backgrounds. Like there is so many organizations in this book. I'm not going to go into all of them. It takes a very special kind of person who wants to play an urban crawl game, you know, basically a giant city. And this one happens to be a city and a dungeon. You have different backgrounds, of course, like Alchemist's Apprentice, Arena Fighter, Artisan Apprentice, Carriage Driver, City Watch Guard. Clerk in office, clerk in shop, conservatory student, gang member, gardener, imperial soldier, laborer, that's vague, messenger, sailor, servant, squire, stable hand, temple acolyte, university student, and wizard's apprentice. And it also gives you the contacts you would know in the city, which the book goes into all the NPCs you would ever need to know. There's pages of them. And uh, what districts you might be from in the city. And there are many of those. Humanity is by far the most common species in Tolis. And the city in the a year is 364 days with 12 months and seven day weeks, just like ours. Also, there is a calendar in the book. Not just a calendar, but everything. The weather. The book is everything you will ever need. It's, it's basically a world in a book. It's, think of an atlas. It's the most detail I've ever seen in an RPG. And of course, he's played it for years. So why wouldn't he add it all in there? A typical commoner earns an inexpensive sum of a silver coin a day. There are no banks as such, but you can rent out a small personal vault and store your valuables in a place called Hammersong Vaults in Old Town. That's a district, by the way. Most buildings, not all of them, have indoor plumbing. So it's, a, it's kind of like the peak of Roman civilization. Carriages are widely available for hire and take you wherever you want to go. While not strangers to magic or monsters, the typical Poltese tollite. Is it tollsite? I don't know. Fears the undead, rumored to stir in the necropolis. There is a necropolis, by the way. Even more real, however, is the fears of thieves, fire, and plague, which you get in any kind of urban setting back in the day, you'd say. Well, we covered that. And horrific history and hauntings. Plague is a problem, especially in an urban setting. Rat men live in the sewers, not were-rats. Rat people. Wererats rats is a D&D thing. Also, there's chaos cults finding new members all over the city these days. By imperial law, everyone carries identification papers. Laws favor citizens over non-citizens. Practical law favors the upper class over the lower. So it's real life. Yeah, basically. I mean, spells that make people do anything they normally wouldn't like mind control or illegal entolus, as are spells creating undead or spreading plague. Well, so much for all my necromancers. And shops tend to stay open until the sun goes down. You find a lot of interesting races in here, like uh, Latorians, like lion people, who like to live in the plains, but they come into the city, of course. And uh, lizard folk, you come across those. There's a whole bunch of subspecies and sub-races you can find in this game. Drow are not allowed in the city. Dark elves, it's like the only thing they ban. Why? Well... Throughout d and history, they've been like the most evil race that isn't demons or something. Things that you wouldn't just find in a city anyway. Mm. So of the earthly races, drow are usually the worst. And they're the lyingest bunch. And they work with demons. And their god is evil. Think of a elf woman's torso on a spider's body. She's called the queen of spiders. Her name is Loth. It's what I named my trench after. Loth, the queen of spiders. The foci you can get in this are associated with the inverted pyramid. So I'm a so-and-so who is associated with the Inverted Pyramid. That's quite a long one. It's a semi-secret guild of uh, aristocrats. Only those of proven power and skill, sponsored by another member, are invited to join. They're always adepts, so you're always magic users. Honors the sainted battle champions, and a sainted battle champions, heroes of good in the world today. Many live um, in earlier times as well. Some people call these the holy champions and saints and such. Many characters alive today draw upon the goodness of the purity of these historical figures and fight the forces of evil. The Knights of the Pale specialize in revering and honoring the saints of the past. Characters who select the reason you choose this back, uh, this Foca is because uh, they've joined the Knights of the Pale. The Knights of the Pale are an order dedicated to ridding the world of evil magic as well as creatures created or summoned by that magic. They, particularly don't like demons, which you could say for most people, I'm sure, or undead, and they're pretty good at fighting undead, I should say. They frequently ally with lawful good churches, although they are not part of any particular church. And there's also another one. Sings a song of freedom, the sound and the fury, the music of battle, and the song of war. These elements make up the life of someone who chose this foci. Which also requires that the character join the Knights of the Chord. The Knights of the Chord are a group that uses the magic of music to aid their fighting skills. It's a loosely organized order of knighthood. Each member remains a free spirit and highly individualistic. So it's a bard knighthood. I would like to think of it that way. Those are kind of like the only ones. I mentioned a species earlier. You have AR, AM, Aram. The dwarvish name for these folk is Centaur. So Aram, Centaur. These half horse, half human people. There's Elves. Another subspecies of elf called Cherubim, more commonly in the Western Mountains. These winged elves are frail but graceful even by elven standards, so cherubs. Then they have the Harrow Elves. The parents or grandparents of these very rare individuals were tortured and changed by a dark lord ghoul almost a thousand years ago. Once elder elves, they now... Are misshapen and cursed, often displaying perverse magical powers. While not strictly evil, most seem continually besieged by a darker nature within, taunting them to do wrong. Then you get the Latorians, the lion people, and you get the lizardfolk. It's not a very good name, lizardfolk is. They prefer Asarani. I can't count all the different subspecies, but like I said, if you are into a city setting or a dungeon setting or both, and you certainly want every resource, you don't want to have to make up any character in the game really, because it's all there this is a good book for you. It's not the cheapest book in Monty Cook's thing, and you will need the cipher system or 5e SRD to run it, depending on which book you get. But it's by far the most detailed one you can get, other than the Numenero one, which has got so many books out. And if you want more content from Tolus, it's all available, where it's been a long-running game, but there is so much content online. People have made interactive maps for this setting. That's how popular it is. So you can go online, look at a map, click on a symbol, and it'll tell you all about the location you clicked on. It's like Google Maps. So would you ever play something like that? I don't think I'd ever actually run it. Can you imagine all the learning I'd have to do to play this game? Either that or search through the Bible you have. Yeah, I know. I've, done, I've, I've sat down and imagined random stuff that people would ask me. And I said, I would go through the PDF and all that stuff. And I'd try the book. And both of them still took so much time. I'd have to be making up stuff, which would be undermining the purpose of the book, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just don't think I'd play it. But if you're a person who wants a long running campaign to run for years or so <laughs> i can't do the years thing it just yeah i know i, I have to that. change up stuff kind of yeah. often uh, even when i'm in like a, a long period rpg mood i will want to change systems after about two months and try something different or something else yeah especially if i'm running the game i am not particularly lazy at dming i like to be able to take a break and kind of enjoy more of the rp of it and if i'm playing D and D, it's Everybody just expects combat all the time. They say it isn't. And I've seen parties who don't just do combat, they can role play a lot, but D D encourages combat, which is fine. It's fun, especially if you're a player. As it is, there's PDFs, there are physical copies of this book. I'll try to put links, maybe affiliate links, I'm not sure. Maybe an Amazon affiliate link in the description of this. And if I can't find an Amazon link to it, I'll add the Monty Cook link, which isn't an affiliate link, but I'll put it under there for you so you can buy the copy of physical or digital and it will, and there'll be both 5e and cipher system versions. You can buy both, but like I said, it'd be awful expensive for a couple of heavy, heavy books. But like you said, you, you probably wouldn't be able to play this and because the same reason I wouldn't be able to for very long, right? Yeah. It's yeah. really difficult for me to do something for so long. Okay. I get bored. Yeah. Well, I do envy the people who can do this, but, um, I'm guessing it would be an interesting story for those that do have the patience for it. Yeah, I agree. Oh, it is. I like to read through it, but it comes with a lot of extra stuff in the back. Did you see that? A big envelope. An envelope full of handouts. <laughs> Thank you for listening to these newer short episodes I'm doing. We're part of a podcasting network called Gruesome Gaming Group. We put all of our podcasts In the description of this episode, if you want to look at them, me and Beth have another one called Horrific History and Hauntings. It's where she tells me about horrific history or hauntings or both or some random thing that happened in history that can be funny, but most of the time it's pretty bad. Or it can be both. It's usually stuff that won't show up in history books because it's either too gruesome or just not worth learning because it wasn't world-changing. But we try to find odds and ends like that. We're not the only people to do that. Also, my friend Dakota and I have another podcast. It's about us talking about our video games that we've played throughout our life most of the ones we really enjoy some of the newer ones i plan on covering starfield when it comes out if you like skyrim and fallout that'll be the one please leave us a review if you can do that on your podcasting player even if it's a bad one we will try to fix it you can leave another review we also have a twitter it's called gruesome gaming g send us a tweet or a zeet or give us ideas maybe new games you want us to try or talk about i've been ramey I'm Beth. thank you for listening to brother knows quest bye-bye